Well, hello, hello, hello. We're back this week with another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. Did everybody have a happy and pleasant Mother's Day? Yes. No details? I don't have any details. Okay. It was lovely. It's quite <laughs> lovely. It's always a good time. Just, It's nice to, to have a week off and rest, isn't it? I'm not a mom. I don't know. Yeah, we don't know what it's yeah. like, but uh, anyway. But I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Scott Wright. I am a mediocre journalist. I'm Kelly Turner. I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. And in this week since we left you last, we've had some time to look over these pictures of Bonnie and Clyde, which I had never yeah. looked and seen Yeah, we before. mentioned, that's how we dropped off, um, or we ended up part one last week. Just to mention that uh, they became famous because they left a couple of rolls of film mm-hmm. when they had to uh, get out of a two-story bungalow in Joplin, Missouri in a hurry. And so these photos spread nationwide in every newspaper in the country. And that's how people learned what Bonnie and Clyde looked like. Yes. And you guys are seeing them for the first time? Yes. All right. Talk to me. Yeah. Um, so I've got thoughts. Go ahead, Katie. Um, for one, you said she's 4'10". Legal, yeah. I mean, technically, uh, on the documentation, she's four ten. He's five six. He, and I'm gonna say that's a stretch. I mean, he is no more than five six. That is for sure because he is yeah. not that much taller than her in these photos. She is probably wearing. I mean, she's wearing a kitten heel. It's probably a couple inches, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably how all. But a size dress three shoe. Tiny, yeah, her feet are tiny. You can tell she's tiny. He's tiny. They're, I can't. They're figure tiny out people. Where she gets shoes are these like little girl church shoes they have she's to be wearing to- i mean they're like these tiny little w- heels. Weren't, weren't there still people who made shoes in the 30s like with their little shop on the side of the well yeah know, i like guess a, yeah i'm sure she yeah these cobbler. were made for her cobbler thank you i couldn't yeah. think of the word yeah just like these dresses probably you know because her dress is the perfect length i'm sure it was made for her she goes into the the cobbler's store and says mm-hmm. i'll take a pair of size threes and yeah. cobbler's like, excuse me. And then when she comes back to pick him up two weeks later, she puts a gun to his head and doesn't pay for them. And he says, that's on the house. <laughs> I guess. It has to be at maybe this point. The, maybe the same people do the dry cleaning. Yeah, right. I don't yeah. know. But they, I mean, she's she is a very tiny person. You, you are correct. When you said last week that she was a, a tiny little thing. 410, 90 pounds. 90 pounds. 410 she is um, very, very small, and her her she's very thin. At obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, 90 four pounds, ten, ninety yeah. pounds, and so she she would get good deals on clothes today because she could just shop in the kids section, in the kids section, right? In the kids' shoes and uh, the doll shoes, she could just buy yeah, like the American. Almost. I'll take the American Girl doll collection, <laughs> please. Because, I mean, I'm thinking that's she could fit those. But he's, you're right, Katie. He's not that much taller. And I, there is one passage that I remember reading, speaking of the clothing. I remember that he had his, uh, his clothes were custom made as well. You one can of the tell. things, you can he was tell. very dapper and spent some mm-hmm. of the money, some of his ill-gotten gains uh, at the tailor's shop. Yeah, and, and his hair is all fixed here. And he's got this big tie and this pinstripe suit. They don't look scary, though. No. They don't look intimidating. They don't, yeah. I guess it's the gun in your face that's intimidating because these people do not look it. Yeah. They really don't. I agree. And his brother looks a little more, or is that his brother? Buck. Is Buck his brother? Buck is his brother. Okay. So there's a, a picture here of 
of Clyde and Buck. Buck looks kind of scary to yeah, me. Yeah, he looks more like a criminal element than Clyde. He's a little taller and he's, um, I don't know, he just looks meaner. His yeah, just more chiseled more, features. Yeah, yeah, his yeah. face is, yeah. yeah. So well, I, he's older by, uh, I want to say f- seven years, mm, maybe. Mm-hmm. And here's the, uh, here's, I'm looking at the photo now where, where she's got the shotgun on him. Yeah. They're goofing off. They are goofing off. This was, uh, I mean, this was like a game to them. It kind of was. I mean, they had resolved themselves to the fact that they were never going to turn themselves in. They knew that the cops were going to come after them. And every time they went home to visit their parents in Dallas, they would always treat that visit like it was the last time they were ever going to see each other because they never knew. And they would sit around and talk about it with their family until the family just got so broken up about hearing about possibly never seeing their children again, that they would just wave it off and just talk about family stuff and see them for as long as they could and enjoy their company and then hope that they would be able to get together again. And that worked until it didn't. So they were just living their main character moment. They're like, we are the main characters here. We don't care what else happens. They called him Bonnie and Clyde for a reason. The rest of the gang, they just called him the gang because they came and went. But well, and, and Bonnie I mean, and Clyde they, were the A players in this story. They've already said, you know, Clyde's already said, I'm not, I'm not going not back. Not going back to prison. Mm-mm, that's not going to happen. And Bonnie obviously knew going along with him that that, that was what it was. And, and she's even encouraging him. What did she say when you were talking last week? Pour it on him, Clyde. We're coming down. Pour it on him. Now, Clyde. what about her husband? He, when he jail. goes to jail, uh, he he's in jail for the entire the rest of Bonnie's life. He doesn't get out of jail until 1937, three years after this story ends, and he is killed trying to escape from prison himself. Wow! Again, she had a type. Yeah, wow. and Bonnie was a type herself. Obviously, I mean, she yeah. was. She was. All, she lied all about to her it. mother when she went off with with Clyde after he came back to get her that that meeting on the porch in '32. She told her mother that she was leaving to take a job. And I mean, she kind left of. with Clyde. Yeah, but not, <laughs> yeah, she, she lied to her mom and said, I, I think it was selling cosmetics. So when they're coming back home and, and visiting, what are right. they saying to their family? Does their family, I mean, their family knows. They come the back road, and right? they tell the stories of their escapades. Wow. Sure, they tell them what happened. Okay. And, and the, one of the things that the family, and especially Nell, his older sister, always wants to know is, how much of what I have read about you in the newspapers is true? And Clyde would all, he would say, well, we did this job and they just hung this one on us. We weren't even in this city when this bank got robbed. And we didn't, we didn't knock off this grocery store, but we did this one. And he would be honest. If, if he was involved in a crime where somebody died, he would tell his sister the truth. Uh, her, his sister wrote that book called Fugitives from 1937. And I read it over the weekend. And she tells a lot of stories that were firsthand accounts told her to her by Clyde when they would come home on these short family reunion type visits. He was obviously very trusting of her to share this. He he knew that nobody in the family was going to give them up. They're not going to squeal on them as she said it. She said in her poem, that's kind of a dated term, but but we all know what that means. Yeah, a rat or a squealer, that's the people you stay away from. Mm -hmm. And a spotter, that was a a phrase from the time. Uh, To be put on the spot meant to be identified by someone or to be uh to have your location tipped off to the police and mm-hmm. be put on the spot so that you mm-hmm. could get into trouble and get arrested and get thrown back into jail so that's what a spotter was i gotcha uh, in that poem okay i didn't know that well yeah i've, I've not heard 
that term before. A lot of lingo that mm-hmm. isn't around anymore. Yeah. So how much did you enjoy preparing for this? I had a fantastic time doing this. I read, I don't know, two or three books and watched a bunch of documentaries. I mean, I've had a couple of weeks to do this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I had a really good time learning about this one. And I never, I, I'm always afraid that I don't have enough to to get the story told, but enough of it hangs on, it seems like. And mm-hmm. don't ask me again tomorrow because it'll all be gone. It's like cramming for a final. I got I just you. I get it all in there and once it's out, it's gone. Yeah. So who's your favorite of the story? Is it a gang member? Is it Bonnie? Is it Clyde? Who is it? I'll tell you about him in a minute. Okay. We're getting Ooh. to we're getting to him. All right. Well that's great. If so. you've seen The Highwaymen on Netflix starring <laughs> Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson from two thousand and nineteen. No, I've not I love seen them that. both. Yeah, I do too. You gotta, you gotta see that one. It's a good one. It's another story about Bonnie and Clyde, but it's told from the perspective of the man who hunts them down. His Is name, that your favorite person? His name was Frank Hamer. I just like the story in the background story of of retired Texas Ranger Frank Hamer. But we'll get to him. In and look, who, who plays him in the movie? <clears throat> Costner. I love the fact that that you're talking about he hunts them down. Like when you when you hear about these, that's these exactly what he did. Older. Way back in history, these rangers or these these cops or whoever the they were, and they they hunted them down. Yeah. And I mean, it was like none of the luxuries of the technology that we have today. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was no, it there was were no, serious. they didn't even have radios and patrol cars yet. Yeah, you're not tracking their. That was cell a brand phones. new technology. No, yeah, no cell phones. I mean, the, the fingerprints was that was a brand new technology that that Hoover had introduced at the FBI that still hadn't really trickled down to. Uh, state and local law enforcement agencies. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, Katie, you asked who played Hamer, and it was Kevin Costner in the film from 2019 on Netflix. But in the original 67 film starring Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty, the man who played Frank Hamer was Denver Pyle. Oh. Whom you might know better as Uncle Jesse if you've ever watched The Dukes of Hazard. Holy cow. Or as the leader of the Darlin clan on. Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith. So that, you know, you think about this man and you think he's, he is even meaner. He's, he's rough and he's tough, but. And he can uh, get away with it. But Uncle Jesse, that doesn't yeah. sound. I know. Anyways. Well, we didn't have an Uncle Jesse yet. <laughs> Kevin Costner, you know, he can kind of be he rough does. around the edges. He, he's, he, he, he's at his gruffest self as Frank Hamer in The Highwayman, and I've watched it twice. It's just, it's that good of a film. And Woody Harrelson is, he's the comic relief, as he always is. He's the comic relief sidekick who is Frank Hamer's uh, partner yeah. in this manhunt. I'm so, going to have to watch it's this. Really it's, it's really good. Because I love it. It's really good. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of a left turn just for a second. Because you said Woody Harrelson. Yeah. And I, I just want to let everybody know that I HBO Max has a new show out. With Woody Harrelson, I know. We're, I want to do that next. You want me to shut up? Or? No, 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 no. I oh, want us. To, okay. I want us to do the, the oh, story okay. that I that you were, okay, yeah, documentary yeah. tells I'm soon. So you need to. Wa- everybody should watch this. This is our homework. We're gonna because they're releasing an episode a week. Oh, okay. New one's out tonight at eight. Yeah, and it's well. By the time you're watching this, so it's Sundays out, right? the next one is out tonight. You're yeah. not watching us. By the time you're listening to this, yeah, you can watch it. Is what I meant to say, and it is based on the Watergate Ooh. stuff. So, mm-hmm. so that's what's all it called? It's called the White House Plumbers. Yeah, because you know they <sighs> they fix leaks, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Woody Harrelson plays uh, E. Howard Hunt, 
And G. Gordon Liddy is played by, I never can remember that actor's name. He was married to, or he dated Jennifer Aniston for a long time. Um, he was I'm in. Totally blind. He was in the leftovers fantastic. on HBO. It's Justin something. Justin, Justin Thoreau. 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 <clears throat> I always want to say true. He plays G. Gordon Liddy. He is. He's great. And G. Gordon Liddy was exactly like that. And a nut. Yes, he was I'm a certified <laughs> nut. I, I'm kind of thinking he is a Nazi, but you know, not. Uh-oh. I guess yeah. not. No, not really. He just admired. He admired the dedication. He admired things about Hitler. Let's just say that. Yeah. His attention to detail. I think you and, call that a Nazi. So, well, mm. he, I don't know. You just kind of have to watch it and, and see what he says about it. It's really good. It's kind of weird what he what he admires about Hitler. Okay, you shouldn't really admire anything about. Hitler. There's a there's a book uh, that you can get on Amazon Prime called The White House Plumbers. I'm halfway through it right now, mm-hmm. and I bought it because I knew this was coming. Well, I want to say it is this, funny. I have yeah, laughed yeah. at it a lot. Yeah. And um, Woody Harrelson is love, just funny. I love the, Woody Harrelson. He's there's just funny. A, a lady who's in Game of Thrones who plays uh, Woody Harrelson's wife. Yes. Uh, she. She's a character in herself when you uh, know about these people. Uh, Lena Hetty. Yeah, that's how you say oh, it. I don't, um, she was, I don't think I she said She was it right. Cersei? Yes, yeah, yeah. she was Cersei. Oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah, she plays Hunt's wife. Yeah. Anyways, I'm so sorry. I took us down. No, right no, I'm all. glad you did. But we all have homework. So go ahead and, and check out that. That show and watch it. White House Plumbers on HBO Max. Anyways, back to we're gonna watch the Highwayman. Yes, Highway that's Men. on Netflix. Men, it's plural. Hi, the Highwayman. Okay, I'm okay. Kind of we're gonna list. and and that, watch that. They called him that. They the the film is titled that because the characters played by Costner and Harrelson, they're retired Texas Rangers. Okay. At that time, the Texas Rangers doesn't exist anymore, and so they hire them. The State Highway Department is who they get their paychecks from while they're on this manhunt. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the film is called The Highwayman. It didn't make any sense to me until I figured that out. So they are, what are they then? They are officially highway patrol, Texas highway patrolmen while okay. they're doing this manhunt, but they're retired Texas Rangers. So they can, they can travel all around Texas. Correct. They have jurisdiction everywhere in uh, Texas. In Texas. But not, not outside of Texas. Not in, not in Bienville Parish, Louisiana. But that comes later. Okay, I'll shut up. No, no, I'm glad you asked. No, no. All right, good deal. Okay, so when we left you last week, seems sooner than that, doesn't it? (laughs) Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow and the rest of the Barrow gang had just escaped again from law enforcement and got away clean again in one of Henry Ford's V8 four-door sedans. Again. Does he love a certain color or just just that car? I think it's just the, the, the power of the engine. It's faster than anything. He likes to drive. The cops are still driving around in Model A Fords that'll go about 40 miles an hour. And a uh, a Ford V8 sedan will go about 90 miles an hour. So he's not getting caught if he's in a car chase with police in most places. No, no. But when they did get away again, they left behind, among other items, those two rolls of film that we talked about so that everyone could see what they looked like. Now they're famous outlaws, known nationwide. Because of their new, uh, new notoriety, in 13 months from that guns a getaway in Joplin, Missouri, Bonnie and Clyde will be dead at the hands of law enforcement. It is the summer of 1933. 13 months to go in this story. I mean, not really, but you know what I mean. This episode doesn't last for 13 months. Well, we'll um, see. It may seem like it when it's over. <laughs> and 1933 was a miserable year. 
in American history. Overall pass or fail, fail. Thumbs down. Guys, 1933, super duper sucked. Would not recommend. If you've got a time machine, don't set the dial to 1933. Zero stars. (laughs) And so before we start the clock on this second and final episode in the story of Bonnie and Clyde, what else was it that was going on in the world in 1933 that made it suck so badly? I'm about to tell you. Kevin Green told me a couple of weeks ago, and he's going to love hearing his name on another episode of this (laughs) podcast. He said that he loves it when we do those uh, historical flashbacks on occasion. So I thought in order to set the mood for what's going on in the world in the summer, uh, the late spring of 1933. All right. uh, This Uh, is kind of setting the scene for our conclusion. All right, Kevin, ask and you shall receive. Pay attention. So prohibition was still in effect at that time in mid 1933. It would not be until December of that year that that ridiculous mistake was corrected. The Nazis were already at it in Germany by the summer of 1933, protesting and boycotting Jewish businesses. And we all know how much worse that got before it got better. Here's a rare bright spot. In June of 1933, the first ever drive-in movie theater opened in Camden, New Jersey. Oh, So a tiny bit of good news, if you like the movies as much as I do. Mm -hmm. But also in June, another bank robber was at it in the country when Pretty Boy Floyd killed an FBI agent and three police officers during a shootout in Kansas City, Missouri. Later that month, yet another famous criminal of the day, gangster Machine Gun Kelly, kidnapped Oklahoma oil baron Charles Urschel and demanded a $200,000 ransom. And as of this morning, that is $4.6 million in 2023 money. That uh, ransom was eventually paid and Urschel was returned unharmed. And that story could totally be a future episode of True Crime on Easy Street. It's a crazy one, how uh, Ursha was kidnapped and then eventually helped the FBI solve the case. And so I've already snuck onto our secret list, which is not a secret anymore, and put it at the bottom. So I would love to do that sometime if you guys will let me. I'm almost done with this uh, uh, time machine flashback. And here's a little bad news for all those criminals we've been mentioning. In October of 33, the U.S. Justice Department purchased Alcatraz, with plans to turn the island and San Francisco Bay into a maximum security prison, which it was from 1934 until Attorney General Bobby Kennedy closed it in 1963. In November, the Great Black Blizzard, a massive dust storm, destroyed tens of thousands of acres of farmland in South Dakota. It was one of many disastrous dust storms in the nation that year. Like I said already, it was a pretty lousy year all the way around. One little tiny palate cleanser, Prohibition was finally repealed on December the 5th, and the technology of FM radio was patented three weeks later. Brand new. So after that uh, shootout in Joplin, and with the Bonnie and Clyde selfies splashed everywhere in every newspaper in the country, the American public's attitude about the two outlaws was undergoing a transformation. Now there was a sense of dread about Bonnie and Clyde. The stories were everywhere. Shopkeepers in tiny towns all over Iowa, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Missouri, and everywhere else were constantly afraid that the Barrow Gang was about to pull up at their business. And it probably took on a life of its own. I'm sure so many made-up stories of, oh, they were here, oh, they were here. When they would go back and have those reunions that we talked about, and Nell wanted to know, she would ask her brother Clyde, she'd read it off, hey, were you here? Did that happen? Mm -hmm. Yes or no. And there would be a lot of yes and no when he would go down that list or she would go down the list and, and 
wait for his responses. Kind of reminds me of the Glenn Holiday episode we did where we talked about how yeah. every and just the other day someone brought that up to me and I had to be like, we've done that one. Right. And they were like, well, did you know how they were this and this? And I said, that, that, that didn't happen. Yeah. There was a lot of that. Did not I'll send happen. you a link. Go listen. There was a lot of that with Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Well, there's just urban legend at this point. Yes, I mean, that's, right. that's, that's the term, yes. Yeah. yeah. And as we promised last week, we're going to count down those last 13 months of Bonnie and Clyde's lives. Here we go. The next date of interest for the Barrow Gang took place a couple of weeks after those events in Missouri when a fellow named H.D. Darby and his girlfriend were kidnapped during an attempted car theft by the Barrow Gang. In the film starring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway, a very young Gene Wilder plays this character. Uh, he's the man who was kidnapped, and he and his girlfriend are driven for hundreds of miles from Louisiana to Arkansas, at which point Clyde decided he'd had enough fun with them, pulled over on the side of the road, gave them five bucks for a bus ticket home, and waved as they drove away. Gave them five bucks. I mean, okay. It was more money then. Enough money for two bus tickets well, home no. to, yeah. to Louisiana. Better I guess. than that's, a bullet in the head. I was about yeah. to say this bit, right. yeah. Could have been worse. Two weeks later, on June the 10th, 1933, Clyde was driving through North Texas, at high speed at night in his latest stolen Ford V8 and missed a detour sign warning of a bridge that was under construction. The car flipped over. Clyde was thrown clear of the tumbling, burning wreck and Bonnie was trapped underneath. Hmm. By the time Clyde and some folks from a nearby farmhouse who had heard the crash could help get her free, Bonnie's right leg was badly burned. We're talking third degree burns, very bad. Hmm. When a group of police officers drove up to investigate the accident, Clyde took the only car available to him, theirs, and escaped at gunpoint. Well, gosh. With Bonnie with him or no? With Bonnie with him. Okay. Oh, and they kidnapped those two officers, by the way, shoved them in the back of the car and tied them to a tree 50 miles down the road and left them in the dark. Did the cops drive Fords? Uh, at that point, he just he had to have something to get away with, but not a good one. Yeah. Not a good one. Uh, if there was ever a time, though, when Bonnie could have been left on her own by Clyde, it was here. It was now. It was then. Mm -hmm. But if you ever had any doubts about the love these two had for each other, Clyde crept into town over and over to retrieve medicine and bandages for her badly burned leg. He eventually paid for a nurse to come and sit with her. He never left her side for more than five minutes at a time. Later that month, the Barrow Gang, well, I guess he did long enough to rob the uh, bank in Alma, Arkansas, using a deputy as a hostage. The robbery netted about $3,000, and the next day, they hit a Piggly Wiggly in Fayetteville, Arkansas. What? Uh -huh. Not the Piggly Wiggly. Oh, yeah. And then for some reason, drove back towards the city they had just come from, Alma, Arkansas. So here they were, back in Alma, and somehow the word gets out that they are headed for town. Maybe somebody saw the car, called ahead with the cops. So the deputy from the day before, who has been humiliated by the bank robbery... He's he's going to get some redemption. He's ticked off, yeah. isn't he? And he got just close enough to the Barrow gang that day for Clyde to shoot him in the chest and kill him dead. Oh, gosh. Bonnie and Clyde have 11 months to live to the day. By July the 20th, 1933, Clyde and Buck had broken into another National Guard armory and stolen some more Browning automatic rifles and were laying low at a motor lodge six miles outside of Platte City, Missouri. And congrats to anyone out there who had the Red Crown Cabin Camp on their Bonnie and Clyde bingo card. You just hit the jackpot because that's where they stayed. 
the Barrow Gang's Ford V8 sedan. They had another one by then, Katie, because uh, that was his favorite mm-hmm. to steal whenever he could. Uh, they had hidden it inside a garage. There was a standard feature at the time on roadside motels. You got a little garage to pull your car into, and the, uh, the motel room was beside it. Now you park in front. Back then, you covered it and shut the door, and you had your privacy. But still, somehow, the local cops correctly concluded that it was the Barrow Gang holed up in the apartment. So they decided to surround the place and wait for them to emerge from mm-hmm. inside. Because of the reputation of Bonnie and Clyde by then as fearless, brazen outlaws, despite their diminutive size, as Katie pointed out, uh, the local cops also called ahead to Kansas City, the big city police department in the area, and had them send an armored car, some steel shields, and machine guns so that they could use that to protect themselves before they have this run-in with the Barrow Gang. So they've SWAT teamed up. Yes, it is the 1933 version of a SWAT team. By 9 o'clock that night, the cops believed that they had the situation completely under control. But when they knocked on the door and declared themselves as they had to do, the air around them was suddenly filled with bullets from Clyde's and Buck's Browning automatic rifles. Without trying to make the lawmen involved here sound like blithering buffoons, the armored car's machine gun stopped working, and then someone started it up and moved it out from in front of the garage where it had been parked to block their car from being able to leave. What? You can smell how this one ends, right? Oh. And just about at that time, the armored car, when it started to move backwards, a bullet fired by either Clyde or Buck short-circuited the horn beneath the hood, so the horn starts blaring, and every cop in the whole party thinks that that's the sign to stop shooting. Are you kidding me? I'm crapping you negative. How does this work out? Oh, my gosh. So a few seconds later... After all of the members of the Barrow Gang had climbed into their car, it came bursting out the door and again disappeared into the darkness. I feel like the circus music should have been playing. Yes, during that. right. I feel like this is, you know, the truth is crazier than fiction kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, absolutely it is. The cops left. Uh, they fired off one last volley of bullets. It flattened two of the rear tires, and it shattered the rear window, and that glass went into. Blanche's eyes and blinded her in one of those eyes. Mm. And at some point in that shootout, Buck took a bullet to the head. Ooh. Oh. He's semi-conscious, somewhat ambulatory, but he's got in one side and out the other in his forehead. Oh, no. Oh. In his temples. So they didn't get away unscathed completely this time. During that final volley, Buck's shot in the head. He's conscious but delirious. And Blanche has the eye injury. Three days later, on July the 23rd, the gang was spotted again a few miles away at a little-used resort and picnic area beside a river. This time, a band of 40 armed men surround the place. I mean, this this gang's got to look pretty rough. I mean, you got Bonnie with the leg. Yes. and limping. And Buck's been covered shot in, blood. in the head. One of the reasons they picked this campground with the river beside it was so that they could wash the blood off themselves. I mean, Blanche has lost an eye. Yeah. And surely at this point, right, there's about to be a situation where Bonnie and Clyde are going to be brought to justice. I mean, and they, they're surrounded by 40 cops now. And Buck, right. Buck is still making it. He's conscious in and out, but he's not really much help at this point. Well, no. Well, not. But, but Blanche, I mean, Blanche head, isn't leaving him. And, his head and Clyde's like, not leaving him. Yeah. His head looks like a piece of Swiss cheese. Big time. And it's about to get worse. In the ensuing firefight, the already disadvantaged Buck was shot multiple times in the back, rendering him immobile. 
immobile, not, not dead. <laughs> not yet. You can't kill this man. He and Blanche were ultimately captured, but the rest of the Barrow gang jumped in the nearby river and swam to a farmhouse on the other side where they stole another car and got away from what seemed to be a certain capture at Dexfield Park, Iowa, only minutes before. So Blanche and Buck are in custody. Yes, Buck died from his head wounds uh, on July the 29th, finally. Goodness mm. gracious. For two days, newspapers around the country helped spread the rumor that Clyde intended to attend his brother's funeral disguised as an old woman. Katie, there's what you were talking about, that how it's gotten away. The press has got yeah. this now, and it's the, the rumor mill is running 90 miles an hour as fast as a Ford V8 sedan. And <laughs> you can't, it's, it's, the truth was, it was good enough, but let's throw a little fiction in too and sell as many newspapers as we can. Yellow journalism at its best. For her troubles, Buck's widowed wife, Blanche, was given an eye patch for that near-useless left eye and a 10-year prison sentence for her three-month stint as a member of the Barrow Gang. She also wrote a book after she got out of prison. I didn't read that one, but I want to. What's it called? I don't remember the title of it. Oh. Uh, something My Time with the Barrow Gang. And it's Blanche. Blanche Barrow. Is the, is yeah. the author. Hmm. So Bonnie and Clyde disappeared for a while after that. Bonnie was still healing from that bad burn on her leg and Clyde had been shot in the arm during the Dexfield Park ambush and he needed some time to heal up too. So they're hiding out and healing up. They have six months to live. Goodness me. On January the 16th, 1934, Bonnie and Clyde took part in an elaborately planned jailbreak at Easton Prison Farm to free their old friend, Raymond Hamilton. Remember him from last week? Yes. He decided he'd had enough picking cotton and hoeing potatoes for the state of Texas, and in the process of making that escape, a prison guard was killed. And now Bonnie and Clyde have four months left to live, and we will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you in part by A&W Outdoor Services. You know, they're located right here in Cherokee County, and I called Alan myself just a few weeks ago, and he and his crew came out to my house, pressure washed the whole thing. It looks brand new. Well, as brand new as my house can possibly look after 25 years. But all I did was call Alan at 256-706-7964. He and the guys showed up and cleaned up everything. It looked fantastic. The pollen has fallen a little bit since then. So if you haven't done this already, now's the perfect time to call Alan and A&W Outdoor Services at 256-706-7964 and let them do for you what they've already done for me. It's time to plan your best vacation ever right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. Many outdoor adventures await. Wet a hook in beautiful Wass Lake. Swing away at Cherokee Pines Golf Club. Climb to the best view around at Cherokee Rock Village. Hike the Little River Canyon National Preserve. Take a days-long splash at Pirates Bay Water Park. And much, much more. The Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce and Tourism has a full list of recommended lodging facilities, RV sites, and campgrounds. And they're all set up to suit your vacation needs, whatever they may be. So come see us from wherever you are. And if you already live right here in lovely Cherokee County, plan your summer 2023 staycation with the Chamber by visiting Cherokee-Chamber.org. If you want to keep current on all the happenings in and around Cherokee County, a subscription to the Post-Herald is a great way to do that. The Post-Herald is a one-stop shop for local, state, national, and world news and sports. 
The Post-Herald also contains crossword and Sudoku puzzles, syndicated opinion and advice columns, and free classified ads. Depending on your zip code, you can get a full year of the Post-Herald delivered to your door for as little as $20 annually during our springtime subscription drive. That's cheap. So call call 256-927-4476 today and subscribe to the Cherokee Post-Herald. That's 256-927-4476. Thank you for being a sponsor. We're proud to have another show sponsor, Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill. Faraway is a small, family-owned business with small-town values located right here in Cherokee County, Alabama. But they can do big things for you. Call Faraway for anything you want done to a tree, or a lot of them. You want your trees removed? Call Faraway. You want your trees cut up and milled into lumber or ground into mulch? Call Faraway. Faraway is licensed and insured and can handle any job, big or small, from tree trimming to stump grinding and everything in between. So call Faraway Tree Service and Sawmill today at 256-393-5398. All righty. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors. Scott. Yes. Now, how many more months do they have to live? Uh, at this point in our story, Bonnie, Parker, and Clyde Barrow are down to their last three months on this planet. Wow. On February the 19th, 1934, Clyde and Raymond Hamilton burglarized yet another National Guard armory, which apparently was really easy to get into at the time. And they stole some more Browning automatic rifles because they're about to get back into the bank robbery business. He's healed up and Raymond is broke, so they need money. Raymond's got to have $1,000 to pay for the people who contacted Bonnie and Clyde to help set up his prison escape. He promised him a thousand bucks within a couple of months if they would help break him out of prison. Mm-hmm. So he needs eight, uh, he needs a thousand dollars to pay off that promise, promissory note. And sure enough, uh, they robbed a bank in Lancaster, Texas a few days later, but they parted ways forever after an argument over how much money should be split up among the members of the gang. Raymond was only going to get 800 bucks for his share. They mm-hmm. didn't steal as much as they thought, but he needed a thousand. And so Raymond and Clyde were no longer friends after that argument. Mm. Raymond went his own way. $200 did it, huh? Yep. Uh, On March the 10th of 1934, Bonnie and Clyde are spotted in a cemetery south of Dallas holding another secret reunion with their family, but they were gone before the cops arrived. Mm. On April the 1st, Easter Sunday of 1934 Clyde was in Grapevine, Texas waiting with Bonnie and a new sidekick named Henry Methvin M-E-T-H-V-I-N he's one of the guys who escaped from the prison break back in January and he stuck around with Bonnie and Clyde after Raymond Hamilton hit the road and that is a name to remember this Methvin guy Methvin M-E-T-H-V-I-N Methvin so on the That Easter Sunday, supposedly, Clyde is in Grapevine, Texas with Henry and Bonnie because they have heard that Raymond Hamilton is going to show up in the area and Clyde wants to kill Raymond Hamilton. That's one version of the story. The other version of the story is that they had arranged another family meeting because Bonnie had bought a little white rabbit that she wanted to give her mother for Easter. Hmm. 
Well, those stories are, are very different. Very different. <laughs> it probably depends on whether or not a family member or a police officer is telling that story. <laughs> yeah. Really? But why would he want to kill? They've, they've agreed to part ways. He could have killed him. Yeah, but there's been some acrimony in public since they, they went their separate ways. Raymond has written a letter to, I want to say, J. Edgar Hoover or the the attorney general of the state of Texas and said, look, I have nothing to do with Bonnie and Clyde. Those people are crazy. I'm not with them. They run too fast for me. I had nothing to do with this robbery and this robbery and this robbery to which Clyde responds with another public letter selling Raymond Hamilton down the road and calling him a coward. And this is the thanks that I get for helping bust you out of jail, that kind of thing. So they have this rotten letter. They have this public spat. Through, through letters, public letter, are they just sending them to the to the press? Or I don't remember if they sent were sent to the press or if they were sent to the attorney general, but somehow they became public. So this is like the nineteen what year are we in thirty thirty four thirty four now nineteen thirty four version of a tweet. Yes, this is a Twitter Twitter battle of the day. All right, I guess now that is wild. Um. Anyway, back to that roadside in Grapevine, Texas, on Easter Sunday, instead of finding. Raymond Hamilton, or giving away that white rabbit, they instead uh, ran upon two motorcycle patrolmen who saw Clyde's car sitting in the field near the edge of the road, and they approached it to see if they were having car trouble. They were both shot and killed in the middle of the road as they got off their bikes. Oh, and they were just going to help? Here's what happened. Methven was the new member of the gang. He hadn't been with Barrow long. He didn't know that sometimes... Clyde liked to kidnap folks and drive them around and tie them to a tree and leave them. So Clyde said, let's take them. Oh. And Methvin thought he meant, let's mow them down with bullets. Hmm. So that's how the two patrolmen died on Easter Sunday in Grapevine, Texas on April the 1st, 1934. Two days later, the man played by Kevin Costner in the Netflix series, The Highwayman, retired uh, Texas Ranger Frank Hamer that we have already mentioned. That's when he got involved in what had by then become a nationwide search and destroy mission. Hamer they're, was... They're done with them. Yes. We don't want... Don't don't take them alive. Don't say halt again before you Just start shoot. firing. Just shoot. They've got to go. Okay. All right. Bonnie and Clyde now have seven weeks left to live. Three days after Hamer took up the trail... On April the 6th, 1934, Constable Cal Campbell was shot and killed by Clyde as he approached the gang's vehicle, which Clyde had gotten stuck in the mud on another of his well-known dirt roads. So maybe he didn't know that dirt road all that well because he got it stuck. Uh, Constable Campbell became the 12th and final victim of Clyde Barrow and his gang. And so now to Bonnie and Clyde's last day on earth. And May the 23rd, 1934 will become their last day on earth because a few days earlier, remember our lawman slash author, Ted Hinton, that I mentioned uh, last week? His partner, along with Frank Hamer and his partner, are in Louisiana looking for the latest iteration of the Barrow Gang because they know Henry Methvin is from Louisiana and has become temporarily separated from Bonnie and Clyde. So their suspicion is that Bonnie and Clyde are going to find Methvin's father's house because that is the most logical place for them to meet back up and continue their escapades together. And they find out that that uh, is in Bienville Parish near the town of Gibsland, Louisiana, which, by the way, is the self-proclaimed 
Daffodil Capital of Louisiana, founded in 1884. Well, how okay. lovely. And it turns out there was only one road that Clyde could take to get to Henry Methvin's father's house from the town of uh, Gibsland, and that was Highway 154. And so Hinton, and Hinton was the Dallas County Sheriff's deputy from the last episode. He'd been on the trail for 17 months. Hamer's only been at it for seven weeks, but they've got him, they think. They know how they're going to do this. They've, they're about to have their long-awaited run-in with Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker. Speaking of Bonnie and Clyde, they spent their last morning alive in the same town of Gibsland, Louisiana. Their final meal was sandwiches, served in a diner there in town, a diner that still stands today as the Bonnie and Clyde Ambush Museum. Okay, so no more sandwiches served, but it's mm-hmm. there. Still there. Meanwhile, back in the woods alongside Highway 154, after two nights of hiding out about eight miles south of Gibsland, amidst all the snakes and mosquitoes, Hinton and Hamer and the rest of their gang heard the high-pitched roar of a Ford V8 engine approaching on the Wednesday morning of May the 23rd. Methvin's father's A-model Ford truck was placed on the roadside with a tire off in the hope that Clyde would recognize it and stop to offer help. The plan worked. Clyde rolled the tan-colored four-door deluxe Ford V8 sedan to a stop and was about to climb out when Hamer stepped out from behind the underbrush. Someone shouted halt, but not long enough for anything to happen. The gunfire started almost immediately. They technically said halt before they started firing. They got the H and the A out and then started There were six lawmen firing at Clyde Barrow's forward sedan. A few seconds later when they stopped, there were 167 bullet holes in the car and around 50 each in Clyde and Bonnie. Mm. Oh, and by the way, our author slash lawman Ted Hinton from Dallas County He's the one who had given the go-ahead to fire because he had identified Clyde with a pair of binoculars as the car approached. He had grown up with Bonnie and Clyde and was childhood friends. Oh, man. Goodness. A few days later, back in Dallas, 20,000 people filed through the funeral home to see the body of Bonnie Parker. The day after, 15,000 waited for their turn to gaze at Clyde Barrow. At Bonnie's mother's insistence, her daughter did not get her wish to be buried beside the love of her life. Well, who is she buried beside? She is buried beside her sister's children who died at very young ages, within just a few days of each, a few weeks of each other. And so, why did the mother said just no? Clyde had her while she was alive. I get her now. She was like, "I'm, I'm done." Yeah, she's. These are my wishes now. Correct. Like you let her to this death. Yeah. You don't get to keep You her. don't get the final say on where she lies for the rest of eternity. So she, I'm sure she blamed Clyde for yes. everything. Absolutely. He was the, in all of these family meetings when they would come back, mm-hmm. you got to wonder what that conversation was like between her mother and Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is she, every time she's coming back saying, Bonnie, what are you doing? I think it, it, for some length of time during those visits, and then when she saw the futility of the argument she was trying to make, just said, "You know what? I guess I'll just I'll just hug her and kiss her and hope I get to see her again." Enjoy the time that I have right right now, and then <sighs> yeah, she said that uh, the the day that that phone rang, she knew what she had dreaded it for two years, but mm-hmm. she said when that phone rang, she knew what it was. Yeah, 
in her, in her heart, she knew. How old were they? Uh, Bonnie was 23 when she died, and uh, Clyde had just turned 25. His birthday was in March, and hers was in October. So she was 23, and he was brand new 25. They are so young. Mm-hmm. Wow. Today, the lives of Bonnie and Clyde are celebrated annually in tiny Gibsland, Louisiana, at the Bonnie and Clyde Festival. This year's uh, 30th annual event takes place May the 26th and 27th. So I mean, Louisiana loves plans, a festival. Right. Any, anywhere in the state, they, they love festivals. There's going to be jambalaya on Friday night at the big dinner. Uh, Saturday morning, a pancake breakfast. And then experts, speakers, and vendors will line the streets, uh, streets of Gibbs, Gibbsland all day on Saturday. And the only thing that it had to do with Bonnie and Clyde was that's where they died. Correct. Like they spent... You know, they're from Texas, spent most of their time in Texas and Arkansas, really. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's you, Missouri. speaking of uh, Louisiana, so Hamer and Hinton and those other folks from Texas, what they did was they went to Bienville Parish to the sheriff and said, look, we need you to deputize us. We've got this plan to get Bonnie and Clyde, which he promptly did, which gave them the legal authority to set up that ambush. Okay, so that but makes But they sense. were not given it. There was no sort of... Uh, federal jurisdiction or anything that they had. So they had to, every time they went to a different state, they technically didn't have the legal right to be there. So they would have to go to get deputized by the local sheriff's department. And the sheriffs were like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be in on getting yeah. Bonnie and Clyde? And you're blessed. Exactly. And you're deputized. That's what yeah. happened. And go. if you would like to see the actual car that Bonnie and Clyde died in, you'll have to head out to Prim Valley Resort and Casino in Prim, Nevada. There is a fascinating story about all of the places that car has been since May the 23rd, 1934. There's a great YouTube video documentary that you can watch. And if we have a an Alabama connection in this episode, that is it. Very tenuous. By the gray hair on my chinny chin chin, we have one. At one point in the year after the incident occurred in Louisiana... The car was driven around the Southeast on display, and at some point in November of 35, it stopped somewhere in Alabama, I can't find out where, to be displayed to the public. How about that? Wow. So there's our Alabama There it is. There it is. By 1935, J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI had put an end to the public enemy era, or the gangster era, if you prefer. Pretty Boy Floyd, John Dillinger, and all of the rest were either dead or behind bars. Certainly, Bonnie and Clyde have left their imprint on this country nearly 90 years later. You guys remember when we did the story of Judith Ann Neely, who has a parole hearing coming up, by the way, later this month. May the 25th. You know, they jokingly Mm. refer to themselves as Boney and Claude. Good Lord. And perhaps consider themselves outlaws on the caliber of Bonnie and Clyde, disturbed as they were. Oh, gosh. I think the most frustrating thing about this whole story for me was how inaccurate the 67 film was. Katie, you talked about this a minute ago. I mean, truth was stranger than fiction in this case. I don't know why in the hell they didn't just tell this. And I get it. In Hollywood, you have to leave out chunks and move the thing along and let's change this and make change the dialogue and have a different person say this or have this different character who's a conglomeration of three or four actual people. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like there's a there was a way to tell this story on the big screen without changing it so much. So what about the highwaymen? Did they pretty much stick to the story? There's not really a lot of the Bonnie and Clyde version. Their their perspective is not told in the Highwaymen. Okay. It's told from a from the perspective of of uh, Frank Hamer and his partner. And I can't remember the name of. But Woody as far Harrelson's as we character. know, it's, it's it's accurate. It's fairly accurate. I okay. think that they probably in the Highwaymen uh, make it seem like he was on the road for longer. 
Oh, okay. Than he was. But it was about seven weeks. It was about seven weeks, according to the book that Ted Hinton wrote. Okay. And he was the Dallas County Sheriff's deputy. Who was also a childhood friend. Yes, and he was the one who was after them for 17 months. Oh, my gosh. And he was glad to have Hamer's assistance, but I feel like he told that part accurately in his book Mm. about when Hamer got on the job. Mm -hmm. It was after that jailbreak at Eastham Farm Mm -hmm. that Raymond Hamilton, where he was... uh, out of prison mm-hmm. where he escaped. Imagine breaking out of prison or escaping prison mm-hmm. and helping Bonnie and Clyde rob a bank and then basically breaking up with them. That's and, what happened. And taking off and then writing a letter to the attorney mm-hmm. general. Yeah. Like, Look, I know I escaped, mm-hmm. but I did not do this, this, and this. And yeah. by the way, Clyde sucks, and I want everybody uh, to know. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, is he is he not smart? Uh, not as smart. I don't know if I, if I would say not as smart as Clyde, but he was captured again, and he died in the electric chair. Oh. So Yikes. pick your poison, right? Yikes. Guys, that's it. That's all I have about Bonnie and Clyde. So uh, it, that was a lot of fun. I had a fantastic time. Learned a bunch of stuff I didn't know. Yeah, and, well, and, I did too. And, and got, I came up with five or six other names of uh, gangster era criminals that we can do future podcasts on if you guys will let me. Yeah, and you even found an Alabama uh, time. How about just, that? Just a smidge. That's okay, but it's there. It was Alabama there. Connection. It was there. Oh, and I, there's a story that one time Blanche vacationed in Mobile. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like the car coming through Alabama. Yeah, I like the car better than Blanche and her one good eye. So we'll Blanche and her one good eye. Oh, (laughs) gosh. Sorry, is that too much? Too soon? Maybe. So we will make sure that we put a picture of that car on our Instagram Mm -hmm. page and uh, have that for you to see. Do you guys do that? I never check the Instagram page, so I don't know in all these times that you guys say, we'll do this and that and the other. I don't know if you guys ever do that or not. I always do. Okay. I go back. I keep and up I, with Facebook. I, I go don't. back and I listen. Most of the time, I remember what mm-hmm. I said. But if I go back and listen and I, and I say I'm going to do that, I go, oh, ding, 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 and then I do that. So, gotcha. Yeah. All yep, right, well, I got it. Remember to give us a five star review on your podcast platform of choice. Leave your name in the comment section so we can give you a shout out on a future episode. Every time you do that, it makes us more popular. It gives us uh, more people to lean in and listen to what we have to say. Yeah, and it moves us up that list, and we get famous. Like Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) Famous. Oh, God. (laughs) Good night, everybody.